series still. We're dealing with the mysteries. Amen. The mysteries. Wow, and that's something I kind of, I just love seeing families get up and sing, and uh, that's exciting. Amen. Isn't that good? And uh, man, I don't know. That's, uh, I remember them when they were, you know, really, really small. <laughs> oh my, oh my. Well, that's a blessing. Well, again, we're dealing with our mysteries, and um, We've talked about a number of them, and first of all, we talked about uh, the virgin birth, God manifest in the flesh, flesh is our first mystery. Our second mystery was Christ in you, the hope of glory. Then we talked about our third mystery, the Lord Jesus Christ and his bride being one flesh, you know, and that's, that's something, that one flesh thing, that's rough. It's hard to wrap your mind around. Matter of fact, it's a mystery, right? So you can't. Fourth mystery was God in Israel, if he's not through with them yet. And tonight we want to kick off another one, talk about another mystery. And so we're going to turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Beginning in verse 1, and we're going to read through verse 8. And then we're going to go ahead and just uh, kind of give you a little background of the passage. Because the mystery itself is... Um, I think you even know it. As soon as we read it, you're probably going to go, oh, I already know all that. And so I'm probably not going to teach anything you don't know uh, tonight, but I thought that if we could understand the background of the passage a little bit, we could learn a few things along the way. It's always good to learn more about the Bible and the context of passages. Uh, you know, if you don't learn the Word of God in context, then you can get all kind of heresy, right? Maybe you get all mixed up, messed up, and that's not what we want, that's for sure. I do want to thank you that were praying for me this past week as I was out doing a little bit of preaching and things went extremely well. We were very grateful for how the Lord blessed and it just uh, turned out well. And then, of course, the legal seminar was on Tuesday, as Brother Kavanaugh mentioned, 
And that, of course, was a blessing just to be able to go there. And not only did we have the opportunity to uh, hear some things about uh, uh, you know, legal issues, but we also got uh, heard a, a good message and then also uh, was had the opportunity to kind of spend a little time with uh, like Brother uh, uh, Kavanaugh's brother and he happened to show up there and brought some of his staff all the way from Illinois and that was good to see them. And so it turned out to be a really good uh, few days and just had a good time and I appreciate uh, your prayers. Certainly needed them and uh, they were definitely coveted and needed. All right, well, um, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 beginning verse 1. Now we beseech you, brethren, again, uh, here's that word, beseech you. <laughs> Paul's begging them, he's trying to get their attention, he wants them to recognize something important here. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind, or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter, as from us is that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means. For that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he is God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things? And now ye know what withholdeth, that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let, until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with, with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Father, we come to you. We do ask, Lord, you'd speak to our hearts tonight, and may you just encourage us from your word. Lord, we've gathered to learn from the word of God. We want to hear from you tonight. Lord, we hear all kind of noises and voices in the world. We come tonight here at Community Baptist Temple to hear your voice, to reflect upon your word, to receive your truths to apply your statutes to our life. We need you, Lord. I pray you'd fill me with your spirit, and Lord, may you be with every listening ear. Father, may you anoint them that they may hear with spiritual ears that, Lord, we would leave here with having, having received something that, Lord, will not be stolen away anytime soon, but instead, Lord, we root it deep in our hearts and take root and, well, Father, ultimately yield some 30, some 60, some 100-fold. We love you now, we need you, in Christ's name, amen. Sadly, there were those that were being taught, at least there were those that were teaching some false doctrine to the church at Thessalonica. They were teaching that the day of the Lord had come and that the church was already in the great tribulation. The fact that these Christians were suffering such tremendous persecution would understandably support such a claim. However, it didn't make the claim true, and it wasn't true. What these false teachers failed to point out was that there's a difference, if you will, between tribulation and the great tribulation. 
You say, what do you mean? Well, tribulation is that which Christ had promised to every single true believer that walks the face of this planet. We know we're going to face tribulation. We know we're going to have trials. We know we're going to have difficulties. That goes without saying because Christ promised those for us. If we live godly in this present world, we're going to face, as he says, persecution and endure persecution. But these false teachers didn't make that distinction. Instead, though, they turned and they failed to recognize tribulation or they chose to fail to do so. And instead, they emphasized the great tribulation that was spoken of in Matthew 24, 21. And that's a special period when the Jews and believing Gentiles, in particular, will be persecuted by the Antichrist. We read about that, obviously, in Revelation. And so there were these false teachers now in the church at Thessalonica that had told them, by the way, you guys done missed the return of the Lord. You're in the midst of the tribulation. Well, that was a pretty tough pill to swallow. And as the Apostle Paul puts it early on in the chapter, he says, he says that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us that the day of Christ is at hand. It's still at hand. It's still, it's, it's still coming here. There's also needs to be a distinction made between the day of Christ and the day of the Lord. See, the day of Christ, or we would often refer to it as the rapture, that's the coming of the Lord to receive his bride unto himself. And then there's the day of the Lord. That includes what we would call the tribulation period as well as the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Paul makes that distinction here. Let no man deceive you by any means for the day, that day, talking about the day of the Lord. If you follow that day through Scripture, you realize it's the day of the Lord. That day shall not come except there come a falling away first. And then he goes on to describe a few things there. These false teachers, of course, were teaching the Thessalonians that they had missed the rapture and now they find themselves in the tribulation. Now there continues to be a lot of debate. You know, when it comes to this issue of the rapture and when it'll take place. It's amazing to me. We continue to fight the same battles over and over and over and over again in Christianity. But some say that it'll take place in the middle of the tribulation. Some say that the rapture of the church will take place at the end of the tribulation. And then there are others that say it's prior to or pre-tribulation rapture. I just have a thought for you in light of the scriptures in which we just read. I want you to think about this. Had the Thessalonians been mid or post-tribulation rapture, they wouldn't have been so upset about the fact that they were in the tribulation because it would have been obvious he's coming soon then. They obviously thought that he's supposed to come before the tribulation and that's why they were so disturbed and upset in their heart. They felt they had already missed it. Because if we're in the tribulation, then we miss the day of Christ. 
If we're in the tribulation, oh, we're stuck down here on earth and we're going to have to go through this thing. I mean, man, that's a mess and who knows how that's going to end. What we do know is that when Jesus comes back, we'll be raptured out. And we have been taught, obviously, that Jesus comes before the tribulation. And that's why we're so upset. That's why we're so disturbed. I think that's a pretty good evidence that we should be pre-tribulation rapture. Now, you want to go through the tribulation, you keep praying and ask God to let you do it. But honestly, that's not going to happen if you're truly in the body of Christ, if you're really in the bride of Christ, because he's taking you out either way. Because he's not going to say, well, I'll leave a pinky behind. You do know we're a body, right? And, then, and, and, and obviously, right now, we don't worship and we don't serve together as, a, as a, uh, uh, a completed body, yet we're still pieces and parts, but we come together as a body, as the local church. And that's how Christ operates and functions is through the local church. He doesn't use the universal church. Oh, we may go to the Philippines and have a good time with other brothers and sisters in Christ that have a local church, but the truth is that's a separate church, and they're serving the Lord through their local church. We serve the Lord through our local church. That pastor is not your pastor. I'm your pastor. And that's how God intends it to be. But one day, he's taken us all out, and guess what? We will all be together, functioning as one body, complete. That's the day of Christ. They thought and were being taught that they were already in the day of the Lord. And Paul's saying, didn't I speak to you about this already? Didn't I talk to you about this already? Because that's what he says, doesn't he? He tells them, verse 5, remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things? Somehow, they either misunderstood what he was saying or they had forgotten what he meant. We'll talk about that in just a moment, but Paul didn't want to see them all upset. So Paul points out a few important developments that is going to take place prior to the rapture of the church and that seeing these things haven't happened yet, they didn't miss it yet. So there in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 again, we notice in verse 3, the Bible says, or the Apostle Paul makes a statement, he says, No man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. First of all, there'll be a falling away. I can't really say exactly 100% how that really looks exactly, but I don't know about you, but if I'm a, a child of God today, and I am, I'm looking around the world in which I live, and I start to think to myself, it seems to me like there might be already evidence of a falling away. I'm getting a little excited now. You say, that's a mess, man, that's terrible. Well, it is in one sense, but on the other, it surely does help us to look high in the sky because he could be coming back any moment. But he says that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition also. It's going to be that falling away, but then that man of sin be revealed. He says the son of perdition. What he's saying is he's going to be revealed for who he really is and what he is. He's going to be made exposed and, and you're going to recognize who he is and it's going to be none other than 
the son of Satan, or if you will, the Antichrist. Note the description in verse 4. When considered, it leaves no doubt to the identity of the one who he's talking about. In verse 4, he says, very simply, he says, Who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Notice it says, He opposeth and exalteth. You hear that rain? Man, am I happy for that. You say, Why? I planted grass about three or four weeks ago, and it's starting to come up, and now it's starting to spread. That rain right there means little grasslets coming up everywhere. Won't be long, I'll be cutting it about November. People will be like, why's he got the mower out? I'll be like, hey. Man, I'm out there every day looking at it. I got a magnifying glass even. There's another one. It's looking good. I didn't think it was coming up at all. It took two weeks for the first little sign of it. I thought I'd wasted all that money. And by the way, seed's not cheap now. I think I paid like, uh, I had 10 pounds of seed. You know what it cost me for 10 pounds? 75 bucks. 10 pounds of seed. And so I'm out there looking for about, a, you know, if the first week I'm okay, right? The second week, man, I mean, I'm going to bed and I'm getting the cold sweats. I'm waking up, man, it's just like, man, having dreams, and there's no grass. <laughs> Finally, after two weeks, two full weeks, I, my wife, I come home one day, and Sherry says, Mark, there's some grass out there. I was like, <laughs> I ran out there, I'm looking, I'm like, oh, there's a little bit. There's little teeny little, you know, little pockets, you know. I was getting excited. So that rain, praise the Lord, bring it on. Okay, now let's get back to it. Notice he says, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped. He opposeth and exalteth himself. Now that word for opposeth, it literally means to lie opposite. To be adverse or to be repugnant to. What it basically is just saying he is an adversary. Isn't that interesting? He lies in opposition to. So this particular character that's going to be exposed, this one who's going to come prior to the return, you know, prior to the tribulation period, prior to, you're not there yet because if you were there, this would have already happened. It hasn't happened yet. So I just want you to know, it, you're in good shape. Christ is still going to return yet. Then the tribulation will kick off because that man of sin has to be revealed, the son of perdition, and he opposeth, he lies in opposition to, he is the adversary of none other than Jesus Christ. I mean, you consider that adversary. We know that the adversary, the word used, adversary, is found in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Brother Josh preached on that Sunday night. I listened to that as I was coming home from uh, the, the, up there in Nashtabula. We flipped it on. We were able to access it. We couldn't watch it. Didn't, we, didn't, we couldn't see it, though. We could only hear it. Because I don't know what it is. Brother Kavanaugh, you can help me maybe, but YouTube, does it take a while for them to post those or something? We couldn't find it. So anyway, we're not very t 
tech savvy. But either way, we heard it, and I was extremely offended. But nonetheless, <laughs> he talked about the adversary, buddy, and then I thought, man, that's what we're talking about tonight. Man, the Lord must want us to get a double dose. But he said that a word for opposer, then it means adversary. Be sober, be vigilant, because you're adversary. So the Antichrist is the opponent. He is diametrically opposed to Christ and everything and all that he represents. His aim is to undermine all divine authority, all divine authority in human life and society and on this earth in general. And you know, one thing that you and I can expect is that opposition will increase. Because as we draw closer to that day, that time, that opposition is going to grow in intensity. But then he also says that he exalteth himself. Now the word exalteth, it's not complicated, right? We kind of know what that means. But in this case, how it's being used is it's pointing out that the Antichrist will exalt himself exceedingly. Not just a little bit, but a lot. So he, so that he as God, sitteth in the temple of God. He's going to exalt himself so much that he is going to literally take his place on the throne, so to speak, in the temple. He's going to say, I am God. Can you imagine that? Turn, if you would, to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 through 4. Now, again, it's tough to even wrap our minds around somebody claiming to be God, but I will say this. The devil of all people could almost claim to be closer to that title than any one of us could ever dream. You say, well, why? Because as we're going to see, he is the God of this world. In essence, he's only taking his place, his rightful place, the place that we gave him, and saying, now, worship me. Hold on. The problem with him is that he's, trying, he's going to say, showing himself that he is big G God. He isn't big G God. He's still just little G. Look at 2 Corinthians 4, 3 through 4. But if our gospel be hid... It is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God, little g God of this world, hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. In whom the God of this world. Satan is called the God of this world. That's amazing, really. He's the God over the world system, the political system, the social system, economic system, system religious system. One day, during the tribulation again, he's literally going to take his place upon the throne of the world. But look at Revelation 13. We see here that this God is going to one day sit on that throne, but then he's going to turn around and he's going to rail on God. It's interesting to me as I look at this next passage in the book of Revelation chapter 13 verse 6. I can't help but think about Goliath. Goliath is a type of Antichrist, if you will. 
Look at what happens here. Notice what takes place. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy, chapter 13, verses 6 through 8. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. I mean, you get this picture that he's shaking his fist at God. That he's defying the armies of God and the God of this universe. It's like Goliath opposed the armies of Israel and the God of Israel. Verse 7, and it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. It wasn't just given to him to make war. He is, is ordained to win the battle, to overcome them. We cannot wrap our mind around how many millions of Jews are going to lose their life during the tribulation period. He's going to overcome them. And anybody else that fails to take the mark of the beast, man, I'm telling you what, you can think you're slick and you can think you can get off the grid and man, if you just get enough MREs and climb up into the mountain somewhere and dig a big old hole and another hole for other things that have to happen and do all that mess, let me tell you, friend, you ain't getting away from anybody. He'll track you down and kill you. I'm not taking that mark. You will. There's nobody in this room that if you're left behind, will not take the mark. You have heard the gospel so plainly and so clearly. According to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, you will take the mark. You'll believe the lie. You'll buy into the delusion. You'll do it. And you'll be justified in your own mind, just like Christians are justified in missing church. Justified in not reading and praying. Justified in not living holy and separated into a world that's wicked and sinful. We do it all for, we have all these reasons why we don't do it, and we justify things. I'm telling you, in the tribulation, there'll be people who went to church who will take the mark of the beast. I guarantee it. It'll be ugly. But notice, and it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them, and power was given unto him over all kindred and tongues and nations. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. If you're not in, you're out. That's still true today, isn't it? So here we have the Antichrist showing himself that he is God, exercising his authority to the point where he literally will destroy anyone that opposes that authority. Paul points out, that he had already spoken all these things. We talked about that already. He said, I told you these things. I, I, I shared this with you. Didn't I, didn't I tell you this? And so I guess for me, I come away thinking this. How important is it then that we constantly hear the truth and be reminded of those things we have already heard then? Obviously, the church at Thessalonica had heard this, but for some reason, they were struggling with this truth. I mean, I guess if we will allow ourselves to constantly hear the truth and be reminded of those things which we have already heard, it will correct misperceptions. We'll hear something and believe that this is what it must have meant or this is what he said, and then as we hear it again, we'll go, ah, that does, oh, that, wait a second, that, no, I had that wrong. Actually, what he was saying was... Actually, what the Word of God means is, so, so, we've heard that before. You need to hear it again. 
Now, here we go again. Yeah, here we go again. But don't close your ears because you just may learn something that you did not realize. Just like the Thessalonians. They were so troubled because they thought they had missed the rapture. That Christ had already returned and they were left behind to go through the tribulation. And he says, didn't I already tell you about all this? Let me tell you again. Let me remind you of this truth. Why? So that you can do away with that misperception. You can deal with this situation and understand and put your minds at ease now. I don't know how long it was from the time that he wrote 1 Thessalonians to 2 Thessalonians. I, I didn't really look at that, and I'm sure at some point in my, my schooling I heard that, and I probably knew that. But what I do know is from the time that he wrote the first letter, from the time that he wrote the second, there were a bunch of Christians who were in turmoil, and their hearts were all upset, and they were bothered by the fact that they had missed something that they thought they were going to get when they all along he had told them already. I think if they would have heard it a week later, they'd have been better off than hearing it a month later. If they'd have heard it a month later, they'd have been better off than hearing it three months later. See, that would have saved them three months of internal turmoil. If they would have heard it a week after he said it the first time, it would have been better than hearing it a year later and enduring that for a whole year. My point being is, we go to church all the time. We're hearing the same things. Think about how many things can be cleared up and you don't have to go home worrying about stuff. You can have hope and peace. Man, I need to hear it over and over again. I don't get things right the first couple times, half the time. The apostle reminds them that the Holy Spirit's holding back the tide of evil, that the dam's going to break and sin will overwhelm the earth in verse 6. And then we come to our mystery, verse 7 and 8. He says over here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7, For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Amen. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. It's already in motion. It's already taking place. It's happening as we speak. Things are moving in that direction, yes. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. We know that that's the Holy Spirit of God that dwells in each one of us as believers. We know that the moment that Christ receives us unto himself, that the Spirit of God is removed from the earth and the dam of sin is released and it just simply overwhelms and consumes our world like nobody's business. Sin is on a rampage like never before. We think about a time way back in Noah's day when ultimately God repented that he had created or made man. Oh, it's going to be like that and even worse. And then shall that wicked be revealed. You do a study on the word wicked, you'll find that that doesn't mean the wicked people. It means a person, the wicked. Satan himself. 
and we can take the two phrases for the mystery of iniquity and we look at the wicked be revealed and we consider the identity as it's described through the passage in 2 Thessalonians, what we find is that literally Satan himself will be incarnate. The Antichrist, or the Antichrist will be Satan incarnate. That's the mystery. See, remember our first mystery? We talked about it very quickly, but that first mystery that we talked about way back of, what, four or five weeks ago, the virgin birth, God manifest in the flesh. How do you wrap your mind around that? God becoming flesh, God becoming a man. How do you do that? You can't, it's a mystery. And now God's revealing another mystery, the mystery of iniquity. Not the mystery of godliness, the mystery of iniquity. Satan will be made flesh in the person of Antichrist. And he will dwell on earth and wreak havoc. It's interesting that those last three and a half years are when he is incarnate. Because, see, the Antichrist either receives or appears to receive a mortal wound. I believe he receives one. And he's raised from the dead. And people marvel. What they don't know, he's a new man too. He's Satan incarnate now. And you know, for three and a half years, he'll wreak havoc. Jesus' ministry lasted for three years, they say. And now Antichrist being the imitator that he is, will do the same for three years. The mystery of iniquity, it's a person. It's a person. And Satan is always in the business of imitating. The Bible said, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. Here we have the mystery of iniquity. You can't understand it, neither can I. Can't wrap our minds around this concept. First of all, we struggle already to believe that there's a devil. And and I know some of you are looking at me like I'm nuts. We don't live our lives like there is a devil. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, it's just like, I mean, let's face it. What's the first thing we do whenever we have a financial problem? We go to the bank account and start seeing do we have enough money to pay bills. We try to figure out how in the world are we going to pay the bills. Am I going to have to get, make, get more hours from the boss? Am I going to have to get another job? Am I going to have to put the wife to work? Am I going to have to make the kids go over and you know, rake leaves for the neighbor? What are we going to do to meet the bills? And then we go, oh man, you know what? We're Christians. That's right. God's in heaven. And there's a battle that's taking place. Maybe Satan's actually at the, in this too, and he's trying to discourage us. And so, you know what? I'm going to go to God a little bit here, and we're going to pray and ask God what we need to do about it. Maybe God will take care of it. See, if we really believe that there was truly that spiritual battle that was spoken about Sunday night, man, our first response would be going to the captain of the host. Yes. Oh, sir. Amen. Every time. Every time. And listen, I'm guilty too, let me tell you. It's easy to get caught up in our own ability and our, our, you know, in, in our own opportunities. And, and man, you know, we, 
You know, we got, we got this false sense of humility we run around with, you know, of course, I'm nothing, I'm nobody, and I, you know, I could never do that, and I, you know, I don't think anything of myself, I'm just nobody. But the first time something happens in ours, we run to ourselves to get it fixed. I'll take care of it. I got to deal with it, it's my problem. That's funny, you know, when my children were young, Something went on in their life. A need was there. I don't ever remember one of my kids going, Dad and Mom, don't worry about it. It's my problem. I'll take care of it. <laughs> Matter of fact, I don't remember doing that lately. No, I'm teasing. But anyway, but, 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 but you know what I'm talking about, you know? And matter of fact, as a father, I was like, man, I want to be there for them. I want to help them. I want to meet that need if indeed I can. Well, I'll tell you what, as children of God, we ought to be going right to the Heavenly Father. As children of God, we ought to be going to the Heavenly Father. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Brother Fred. That's good. I want you to pray for Brother Fred. I mean that. He's lost his dad. His dad went to heaven. It's not easy, I'm sure, to lose a father. And I want you to know I've been praying for you, Brother Fred. I'm concerned for you. Hearts are heavy in those times. Many of you know exactly what he's going through. But you pray for him, would you? So here we're given another mystery. The mystery of iniquity. Or the mystery of the Antichrist. It's a mystery. You can't explain it, neither can I. But it's true. We believe it because the Bible teaches it. But I'm so glad that we're going to escape that tribulation. Like those Thessalonians, we're going up and out. Ain't going through that mess. You know what? I don't know who the Antichrist is, and honestly, I probably don't. I don't really care. Because I'm not going to be around when he gets revealed. Either. I'm concerned about those that will be left behind, though. So let's do our best to reach a world with the gospel. Because there's coming a day when there won't be a lot of hope for most, most Americans. I'll tell you what, there's, there's been a lot of clear presentations of the gospel given in the United States of America up to this point. Well, I'll tell you what, you get here in those clear presentations and you reject the Holy Spirit's prompting in your life. That's grounds in 2 Thessalonians for believing the lie. Well, we better make sure we're doing our best and that we're filled with the Spirit so that the Holy Spirit of God can do His work in lives. Man, someone says, well, if that's the case, let's not tell anybody and then that way, they'll go into the tribulation, they'll have a chance to get saved, and surely after seeing people gone, they are going to for sure believe. Let me ask you, as you read the Bible, do you ever get that impression? I don't know how this is all going to work. I was watching a movie the other day, and I just wanted to see how they were going to depict this. But it was a movie about the rapture, and they showed the rapture, and of course cars are crashing, and there's piles of clothes sitting everywhere, and you know, all that stuff, you know. I, I had to turn it off. It was so corny and stupid. But, and, and they're not biblical usually. Very few of those. I, I've never, I don't think I've ever seen a movie really uh, recently on, a, on that, that topic that's really biblical. 
Um, it's all, it, it's, it's nice to think about that it would work the way that they say it will, but, you know, this guy's wife or husband goes, he doesn't or she doesn't, and boy, she's so determined to come to know Jesus, and she's looking for a, you know, some kind of secret cell that's hiding out from the devil, and, you know, everybody's trying to find a way to undermine, uh, to get under the radar so they don't, don't take the mark of the beast, and if they don't take the mark, they don't, they can still find food and clothing and help, and blah, 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 and somebody that tells them how in the world they can know Jesus Christ, their Savior. And that's not really how it's going to be. There's going to be 144,000 Jews running around, 12,000 from every tribe, telling them, guess what? He's coming back. You better get ready. He's coming back. You better get ready. He's coming back. You better get ready. He's coming back. And don't you take that mark. If you take that mark before he comes back, you're done. Oh. Okay. Well, you don't have to worry about it, neither do I. But there might be a family member or friend that does. Let's make sure we're doing our best, filled with the Spirit, to try to reach people. That's why we knock doors. That's why we run buses. That's why we do Sunday school here. Our Sunday school is not just to teach your children. Our Sunday school is hopefully to get some people in around your neighborhood that you can bring in with you, and we can get them saved, and then they can go win their parents, and we can get their parents in, and then they can come and raise a generation for Christ too. I mean, we've got to understand it goes beyond us. This, this is what it's really about. The fact that those neighbors and those, those friends of our children will die and go to hell without Jesus Christ. Their whole families will perish. Man, we've got to reach them. We've got to get them in. That means it might cost us something. But it's worth it. It'll be worth it all when we see Christ. Father, we love you. We thank you for all you do for us. Lord, I am happy and so pleased to be the pastor of Community Baptist Temple. There's no better place in the world to preach than here. And Father, I thank you for just the, the desire of the people of God to want to grow in Christ and to ultimately please the Lord Jesus with their life. And yet, Lord, as human beings, we all can run into obstacles that we have to face and deal with. And Lord, even our own hearts sometimes can present maybe a coldness or a a hardness at times. May we get distracted by this world or possibly just from activity. But Lord, I believe in this crowd, uh, there are people, and even those that are watching live stream tonight, I believe there are those that are genuinely sincere and wanting to grow in Christ and live for you. And Father, we, we want you to speak to our heart and put a, a desire in our heart to truly reach our neighbors, to reach our families, to reach our friends, and Lord, to help people escape that coming tribulation, and ultimately eternity. Lord, I hope I miss death. I hope I can go right up in the rapture. Lord, there's no guarantee. Because of that, i got to try to win everybody I can right now for sure. Because, Lord, if they don't come to you before they die, they won't have the hope of any kind of hope at all. Father, I pray, dear God, that you just work in our hearts and our lives tonight. Thank you again for all you do for us. We need you. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand. Every head bowed, every eye closed.